There are many ways that we can talk about spiritual development, ways of speaking about the arising of wisdom and insight. And it's also quite extraordinary that we can have a circumstance here of relating to the practice and applying to understanding here on retreat in a very specific way that we really deepen the spiritual powers. As you know, in the Buddhist teachings, there are many lists of different faculties or powers or factors of mind that we can um, call forth. And tonight I'd like to talk about the teaching on the five spiritual faculties. There are five mental factors that I have found so helpful in my own practice and still feel that they're very present and helpful. They are mental factors that arise and are being strengthened. And when they are strengthened, they also are enabling us to have a sense of balance in our practice. In fact, some of them balance each other. They also enable a true influence in our minds. And I think it's quite extraordinary to um, have them be alive, not only on retreat in this specific setting, but they can come forth and come alive in our lives, in relationship to ourselves and with other beings. So in fact, they can color the state of the mind somewhat continuously if we have the sense of calling them forth and knowing how to enable them. So what are they? There is faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. It's helpful to reflect on them just from our own mind, reflecting, meaning just think for a moment, reflect on them about how we can have a sense of them being present. You know, most of them, quite a number of them, we practice in each moment. And then there's a sense of being able to know them from that place of deeper intuitive feeling. Feeling those qualities in the sense of presence when we know that they are nourishing the practice. And also knowing when they are absent. When there are difficult emotions, those qualities of mind can be present. in relationship to helping ourselves work in the face of the difficulties. So when they are balanced and strengthened, it's an incredible support for us in our practice. And so I'd like to begin with faith, and I'll spend a little time with faith, because I think it's a, a quality of mind and heart that is not always easy to manifest, have manifest in our lives. It's often misunderstood. And here I feel that I'd like to share some, probably some um, inner experience or some personal experience of how I nourished this quality of faith. So reflecting on faith, there seems for me to be two aspects that come to mind to help faith grow. One is the feeling of trust. And the second one, which is just a strengthening of trust, is the feeling of confidence. Now, faith itself is the basis from which practice is starting. 
without faith, really, I think none of us <laughs> would be sitting here. If there had not been, you know, some faith in our hearts, maybe there isn't even the clear knowledge of this, but it's some type of faith, some kind of willingness to be touched by life that brings us here. And as Miyoshin said last time she talked, it's often feeling the sense of faith comes from experiencing suffering. And it's also faith that keeps us staying here. (laughs) None of us would stay if faith did not become strengthened. And it's pretty obvious. Yet, most of the time, in our practice, moment by moment, it's not completely felt, and unconsciously, we feel, at least I have felt in my own practice, that there was never enough faith (laughs) to keep going. (laughs) And when the response is not having enough, then what happens is that there's doubt, there's confusion, there's just the opposite of faith. And to question that is very important, I feel. You know, is it true that there is not enough faith? Maybe it isn't so true. Now, faith tends to arise at first when we may be encountering someone or something which is very inspiring. You know, it can be a reading, a lecture, someone we've heard that inspires us, and it touches a deeper place within ourselves than just the thinking mind. It moves us. I remember being a child and not having this quality in my surroundings, and yet feeling such a disconnect with the heart. My childhood was pretty filled with suffering. And yet there was a sense that there was a need there. And the need came from that sense of, yeah, I'm looking for something deeper. And the faith arose by meeting nature, intimately connected with nature when I was a child. And that was the beginning of the emergence of the heart being profoundly touched and moved. So many different things can inspire faith, and we all have our own path in relationship to that quality. It's important that it stays alive in us, and often there can be moments when we have faith and, you know, life gets full. And that quality may fade. So this type of faith fills the mind with a sense of, yes, this is possible. It's born out of a brightness, and there can be a sense of gratitude at times that can be present. We're thankful for life when that quality is present. It's called bright faith, and it may be strong, and deeply felt, it can be a motivating factor in us, which has some sense of power, it needs to be onward leading. Because the problem with this type of faith is that that's exactly what I just mentioned. It's not stable. Why is it not stable? It can diminish. It can even drop away. It can be completely absent. Because it isn't referred to an inner experience. It doesn't come from referencing to experience that we can meet inside of ourselves. This bright faith, at least the way that I understand it, coming from external circumstances, be it nature or someone that we listen to, or here, or 
It can also be a very strong sense of devotion, which can be a very strong um, motivating factor coming out very powerfully from someone else. But if we constantly need to look out to depend in a way in relationship to feeling this and that need to be to, for faith to be reactivated in that way, it's not a firm ground. It's not strong enough to keep us going. Especially when we are in the presence of difficult emotions, you know, the dark places. And we all have moments when we need to face these dark places. So what reinforces our faith needs to come from our own deep, intuitive understanding of the nature of reality. Really feeling that sense of maybe suffering or impermanence. There's a faith that there is born out of that understanding coming out from our own clear seeing. And this is exactly the faith that we are building here when we are able to see the patterns of mind with a greater sense of ease and there's a feeling of a bit more spaciousness, then it might be that that first aspect that I was talking about, trust, may arise. So it's not that you need to have the extraordinary awakening experience that we all wait for, which often never arrives soon enough, (laughs) to be able to already have a sense of greater spaciousness, ease, which links us to that possibility of openness and trust. The small insights that we've had today, even one moment of understanding, can come forth and give us a sense of possibility, of freedom from suffering, from grasping, from holding. One moment of freedom from greed, hatred, or delusion connects us with that possibility of understanding, which then leads one to the possibility of a greater sense of trust. So bright faith is said to be blind because it's not verified from within. It's dependent on the external conditions. If we have a sense of meeting the truth, tasting that extraordinary dhamma, however we are enabling that quality of relationship, when that faith becomes a little more trustworthy from our own experience, there's a different level which culminates then in verified faith and then unshakable faith. This is something that we know for ourselves. And even if someone, you know, talks to us about, oh no, faith doesn't exist in life, you know, you know that it's true. You know because you've seen it. And what is wonderful with this practice is that there's different manifestations and so many different levels that we have a willingness to do the practice out of the sense of, yes, I've seen it. No one absolutely can take that away from us. gives us a sense of willingness to continue to practice out of a sense of clear seeing. So this is why we can relate to faith in relationship to wisdom. Faith and wisdom balance each other. Now, it doesn't mean that once we've seen something, it gives a sense of faith which will be constant. 
that type of faith that comes from within can also flicker because doubt, confusion can come in the mind, can come in the heart. You know, we can come short at times of that quality. But I've seen for myself that there was a real possibility of developing it. And I find that quite interesting. How does faith develop? Well, we know, you know, many ways we're talking often about the development of mindfulness and concentration. Those are talked about very often. But faith is something which is not mentioned in the sense of, yes, it other is here or it's not here. How is it that it comes about? For a long time, it was a kind of mystery in my own practice. I said, oh, yeah, suddenly there's the rising, oh, there's faith here. (laughs) Um, It's a sense of trust, of really saying, yeah, it's an empowerment, you can say, which builds up. But then suddenly, it's gone, you know. And how did I get it? No idea. (laughs) So reflecting on that practice process of mind, I noticed that faith was building up when there was a growing quality of trust. And you might say, well, this is pretty obvious. And yet, it's not so obvious because it's so rare to trust the practice, to trust ourselves in practice, in relationship to whatever it is. It's completely fine. What is trust? It's the ability to open to, to be connected with, to receive, to accept, whatever it is that is manifesting. So trust helps faith come in the practice. We then embody a sense of possibility to stay open and balanced in the face of difficulties rather than close down. And it happens, at least for me, a lot in that space of heart. You know, we often talk about heart-mind, and it is true that it's talked about because it is one and only thing. It's not a mind up there and a heart here. And yet, so often, the practice evolves from that space of thinking, And so what happens, and what I've seen for myself, the faith comes about when there is a dropping into the energy of heart. And that comes about from our just openness to receive experience so that the heart can vibrate and open and feel. So it's so much more about feeling, being, than becoming. And I think that's exactly where trust comes about, where being manifests in a way that it emerges and gives us a sense of unconditional acceptance. Now, this is a process. And it's important to to understand it as a verb, as an action, as a movement, a process. It's not something that we have, a thing, which is in one place. (laughs) And this is exactly why we're here. Whatever it is that, you know, we wish for ourselves is certainly that deeper sense of connection within our own heart and mind and whatever it is to be okay. Sayada Upandita, who was one of my main teachers, says this 
He says, unless there is acceptance and receptivity of mind and heart, unless one totally surrenders, it will be almost impossible to receive everything. Now that word of surrender, (laughs) for me, was something which was very difficult to connect with. I had a lot of fear around the word surrender. So it's important to, to notice how you receive the words, and it can be expressed as receptivity. Just making ourselves available for what comes up so that the heart, the mind is touched in any way that it can open. Another way, if you're more on the side of not wanting words that really are in the field of receptivity acceptance, you can say very clearly that it's non-resistance. That's another way to formulate it. And that's good enough to not resist experience, to be able to be in the direction of trust. There's a movement of opening rather than closing down. And one way, and I often ask myself that question, you know, is to ask ourselves, what are we unwilling to receive? What is it that we are unwilling to receive? It can be so subtle. And there may be so many aspects in the practice, in ourselves, where we're not willing to receive. One day, sitting in this very hall, I sat here for eight months when it first opened, and for quite a number of days, there were ah, deep waves of sadness, grief, sorrow around an issue that had happened in the past, and really noticing a lot of difficult emotions. And I was recognizing very clearly the, the emotions. You know, I knew there was sadness, there was grief. So there was a certain openness to what was happening. But after a while, there's something here that's really hooked. And I had not seen how I was missing, really deep down, in a very subtle way, I wasn't okay in the presence of these emotions. So there was the recognition of these emotions, but the relationship I had not opened to and even watched. So there was a very subtle aversion in the feeling of, yeah, there's sadness, there's grief, but I'm not okay. That self-image, me in relationship to this, had not been seen. And that was enough to prevent me from trusting the process. It kept me, at a certain level, hooked, shut down into the emotions themselves. The moment there was clear seeing of, oh, this is what's happening, I'm not okay. Opening to that field of experience. There became here a huge wave of openness and tears could come. There was a very strong sense of shift in the heart of being able to meet just yet another level. And acceptance began to happen. So you see how when we are with experience, and I do trust that every moment we try to be with experience in the best way that we can, and it's so subtle to notice just how we can be with it in the way that we receive, just open to it, as Saito Pandita accept 
or if there's a very subtle sense of arranging, fixing experience in order to meet our expectations. And it's so often the case that there's a sense of this is not okay because there's an expectation of something else. The very seeing of this movement, you know, wanting, expecting, hoping. And hope is not faith. Hope usually wants something. There's a sense of waiting for something else to show up. And we often confuse the two. So noticing that wanting, that expectation, reveals then the trust to be able to be with what is showing up. And that is it. There's a balance here. So it's not about reaching a place. The sense of trust will come and go each time we are being challenged with experience. And that level of acceptance will also come and go. What is important is how we work at opening ourselves to the full experience of what is happening. And that's exactly the process. Each moment that there's a possibility of opening a new experience, then the practice, how will it feel? It will just feel alive. There's a vitality. It's dynamic. And therefore, it brings then a sense of commitment. There's just a greater willingness to continue. Now, why is it so difficult? It's difficult because the tendency of mind is to constantly look for something solid that will make us feel safe. That's where we usually put our energy. And the irony is that it's in the very looking for something else, in the looking for something else which will make us safe, that is what is making the practice feel unsafe. And that's what we meet. Even if there isn't an, an understanding conceptually, that's what happens. You know, we try, we try, we try so many things, and then we stop trying, and there's a sense of surrender, And here we are, and there's finally a greater sense of, oh, but it's okay here. You don't need to run away. So when trust deepens, there's less of a need to run away, to escape, even when it's difficult. We don't spend so much time trying to arrange or fix ourselves. And that comes from wisdom. It's a faith born out of wisdom. It becomes trustworthy. And it is faith born out of experience, not out of, oh, I hope in my mind that I'm going to find a way to make it more available. We spend a lot of time restructuring our environment, you know, In this very hall, I had spent so much time trying to find the best stool. (laughs) And that first year, there were about five or six stools, not so many. And I was trying each one of them because I'm tiny, as you know. (laughs) And they have different heights, and none of them were comfortable. And I thought, yeah, if I find, you know, the exact stool, (laughs) I'll be able to practice longer. And we all do that in one way or another. You know, we try ourselves out to have the best conditions until we realize that there are no best conditions. <laughs> conditions are what they are. And there may be, you know, sometimes, yeah, there's going to be just a little more ease for some time, and then it's going to be something else that's going to show up, which <laughs> brings about a sense that we can reinvent our setting and our meditation 
And yet, it's not going to do it for us. So trust can't be figured out. It only comes from really doing the practice. And therefore, there's a different place then of connection with the Dhamma. Dhamma unfolds and is tasted. The flavor of it comes about in a very alive way when we go through these moments (laughs) of trying ourselves out, seeing that it's not working, staying present, allowing ourselves to feel whatever is difficult, and open, receive, accept. Because ultimately, there's nothing that is going to bring the safety that we think is present. And Sayadaw Pandita has a beautiful line around this. He says, clinging to anything for security, we slowly learn to let go. Because there is no ultimate security. And this is wisdom that teaches us. It's wisdom that really teaches us that sense of, yeah, looking for that security is not worth it. There's such a greater sense of well-being and ease when we can flow with the movement of life and learn to let go. So what happens is that growing trust then brings a sense of greater, greater ease. And we begin to allow the flow of events. And it's just, in a way, being with what is leading into the unknown. And the fact that we don't know, there is a sense of not knowing, is also okay. And that's a process. We're going to move in and out of this process of allowing, accepting, going with the flow, and resisting. And it's totally okay to respect the rhythm of our openness. There's no other way, in fact. It's really important to know that. And then there's the coming of confidence. When we face the unknown, the insecurities, the emotional swings that come about with whatever is manifesting, whether it's in the mind, it's in the body, at times there are moments where we just don't pull back. And... That confidence is called, in the teachings, unshakable faith. It becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And what happens is that it's just stronger than the fear of the unknown. So it's one glimpse at a time. Those little moments of insights bring an increase of sense of possibility. We grow in wisdom with our imperfections, not by avoiding them. And it's so interesting that we constantly try, you know, to avoid the difficulties until we understand that they are the juice for our practice, that it's exactly where we can learn. There's a clear understanding. And then energy comes about, courageous effort and The effort is joyful. It's a real commitment. We have the energy to investigate. And there's a sense, because of that faith, which is in the back, we can maintain our our energy. There's absolutely no way that we do the practice. It's not easy. We know it. But yet there's still energy. You've noticed that uh, the practice takes a lot of effort, right? It's not easy to be here. I mean, it's just so uncommon, and it's just really not easy for nobody, you know? And yet, 
out of that sense of faith which comes about, it gives us a sense of trust. And therefore, we're willing to make a little more effort. And I think that effort is something we can constantly work with. I remember at the beginning of my practice, you know, I went to my teacher and I said, with effort, I really don't know the sense of balance. Either there's too much effort, either there's not enough effort and it's lax, and I just can't find the sense of balance. And he laughed. (laughs) And he said, yes, it will be like this your whole life, your whole practice. Because that's exactly (laughs) what we learn with effort. Energy comes and goes. There's high energy, low energy, and conditions change. It's only when we're connected that we can sense, oh yeah, there's a lot of energy here, there's not enough energy, and then we can reply. We can rely on (laughs) what is available. So there's no right formula. And that we can truly sense by hearing it from a teacher. It's very helpful because it gives a sense, okay, you know, balance of energy or of effort is something that needs to be worked on till the end. It's so easy to judge ourselves when the energy is low. You know, I'm so bad, I took a nap, or I didn't do many walkings today, I should have done more. Yesterday I did so many more. And, you know, all these stories that we blame ourselves for. (laughs) Too lazy, you know, not enough strength. Start over. When that kind of whirling in the mind starts, just begin freshly when you notice it. Not worth spending time evaluating how well you're doing, how not well you're doing. Just keep going and notice the quality of our mind when we seem to have a balanced effort. That's also a sense of appreciation which we can really taste. Now, when there's too little energy, it's true that the practice becomes difficult. You know, it's often when we hear people, but it's so boring. I'm bored. Boredom is just disconnection. There's a sense of everything becomes tedious then, right? And there's a good chance also then we drift into thoughts. Why are there so many thoughts? Because we want distraction. It's a very simple way of cause and condition, you know? And we even have doubt come in saying that I would be anywhere else I'd learn more about myself than here, you know? (laughs) It, It happens like that. And so you can ask yourself, you know, Is doubt present? When doubt is present, it prevents us from putting in more energy. These are loops. But when effort is balanced, practice just flows. And even when there's an experience which is difficult, there's a willingness to work with it. What it means that we're just connecting. Oh yeah, there's interest. And the energy is born out of that interest which brings about a wholehearted effort. And when I say wholehearted, there's that quality of trust, of confidence to be able to meet that which is happening to us. So it doesn't need to be nice. We just have the energy and we keep going out of that place of interest. Commitment is what allows us to deepen the practice, opening to whatever is present. Now, once again, it's fascinating to watch the level of effort or energy that is generated from within ourselves, which comes really from that place of inner interest or whether it's imposed from the outside. And I've seen this for myself. And sometimes, you know, we can have a sense of energy that comes, effort is imposed when we see, for example, other yogis that are doing so much better than we are. <laughs> so it, it can be a sense of inspiration, a motivating factor for us to have a greater energy 
when we see that, yeah, this person really is keeping on going. They're just doing their practice, you know. But at some point that can shift and, oh, I'm not good enough. So that's kind of the energy that comes about imposed from the outside. It's not reliable. We can't do this practice to match a model. Whatever model we have of, you know, good yogi or perfect yogi or whatever, and it happens. Even if we're sitting here (laughs) and there's no structure, you know, there's no time for you to come here in this hall, sit, length of time. In a way, it's very easy here. It's kind of more easeful because of um, the lack of structure which is imposed on you. So it means that you are enabling your own sense of trust, putting the energy in, coming from the inside. And that's what I find is so great in this particular setting, that you can know for yourself what is helpful, but certainly not a model to follow, have a sense of perfection. It's just a setup for pain, for suffering. And not only that, it really doesn't (laughs) encourage faith. It only encourages striving. It comes out of a should. And shoulds, at least in my way of teaching, are not helpful. It's too forceful. It just doesn't work. And yet, when there's a sense of energy, of effort coming from interest, openness, receive, out of a sense of trust, allowing ourselves to be able to open the heart, being vital, then there's space for investigation and inquiry. Out of that sense of greater energy, we then have a flow of more continuity. And I think that there's one piece here which is so helpful, is that when there is low energy, we kind of, you know, start out and it's like uh, turning on the engine of a car and then you turn it off. You start, (laughs) you turn it off. You never let the engine really run well, right? The motor, you just don't hear it. And... Just to think of that image for me, it's just like, wow, this is so tiring. We do often the same thing. We'll start and we'll stop. We'll start and we'll stop. All these breaks, these gaps in between our moment of trying and being present and just stopping reinforces the lowering of energy. So building energy comes from putting a little more effort in the sense of continuity out of a place of steadiness. That continuity is the continuity of mindfulness. And that's the next factor. Mindfulness and concentration really work together. They get stronger. And therefore, mindfulness is here the factor that balances all the other factors. It's always helpful, as you know. Because energy can be in excess. There's restlessness, there's agitation, when there's often a lot of scatteredness in the mind. Often you can sense, oh wow, it's agitation, there's too much energy. Or even in the body, there's restlessness. Mindfulness and concentration will allow that balance, just bringing the mind here and now. So that quality of mindfulness, really, we can never have too much of mindfulness. It embraces every single experience. And I'm sure you all know what mindfulness is. We talk so much about mindfulness that I'm not going to talk about it here. It's just the knowing, that awareness, that We are present with every single experience, just like a mirror. It presents anything that shows up. Thanks to mindfulness, there's a connection of intimacy. When it's well-established, there's a quality of true contact. 
It's penetrating. It's a depth of connection. It's not slippery. So one aspect of mindfulness is quite active in the way that it's dynamic. It's alertness. To have that energy, and it's out of that energy that I just spoke about, to be open to meet fully the experience so that it's not slippery. Whatever it is, it can be a sensation in the body, the breath, a thought. There's a sense of alertness coming from a freshness of mind. We're curious about what's happening. There's a vitality. And that quality of alertness is just like a a childlike quality, you know, of freshness of mind. And it's balanced with the other aspect of mindfulness, which definitely we've already talked about, which is that receptivity. So both, they really balance each other. There's alertness and there's receptivity. The mind is pliable, it's flexible, it can receive. There's a place of of well-being, of ease in the practice when this is happening, therefore we can settle back. Relaxation is not being casual. And these qualities will come about and are really reinforced by a sense of openness, trust, acceptance. Comes then a sense of relaxation. It's just allowing things for them to rise and pass. When we persevere with mindfulness, there's a continuity, just being with what is moment after moment. Whether it's, you know, in a walking, instead of trying to be present for the whole walking period, I don't know if you decide for 45 minutes, that mindfulness just is about being alert and fresh in that one moment, one moment, a step, half a step. It's enough. That's what connects us with whatever experience is present. Mindfulness then becomes nourished by mindfulness itself. It is established. There's a true connection, a sense of contact. And then, very clearly, that awareness, that mindfulness becomes a little more steady. And then there's the arriving of concentration, which means that concentration is like a flame which doesn't waver. Out of that true quality of connection of mindfulness in every moment, the mind is focused. Sometimes it can be focused on different experiences. Sometimes it's focused on just knowing. Now, concentration is not rigid. It's not a fixed state. It's just a collected, unified state of mind. It's not scattered. And you can say that there's no dispersion. It's just collected, gathered. And for this type of practice that we're teaching here for the quality of vipassana, the concentration is one that is present in every moment of mindfulness with different changing objects. So we often have a sense of thinking that concentration in our practice happens just meeting the breath. You know, I concentrate, and even this morning a person said to me, you know, oh yeah, I do concentration when I just meet the breath, and then I open up and there's this field of awareness, and then there's no concentration anymore, and then I get scattered. Well, there's a possibility of really feeding that quality of steadiness of mind, unification of mind, with changing experiences. 
born out of sense of just being mindful with different experiences, and it's happening. So it's a quality of mindfulness which becomes steady, the knowing. In and of itself, concentration is not a goal for this practice. Wisdom is the goal. And yet, it's quite important to have a unification of mind where there is no agitation, because from that quality of presence of mind and heart, there's just a deeper seeing. There's a possibility of penetrating experience very different from the thinking mind. It's not conceptual. We so often don't realize that that quality of wisdom comes from that place of deeper understanding. Now with concentration, I think it's very important to not have too much judgment around it. We so often want more concentration. (laughs) You know, I'm also (laughs) one of these people who say, I just want to be more concentrated. (laughs) And often not even for the sake of deeper understanding, just because we sense that concentration brings more ease and there's just more peace and maybe less thoughts, right? So it's pleasant. There's a sense of happiness. And yes, it's quite important to understand that concentration is a sort of happiness born out of a quality of connection, deep connection. It's a happiness which is very different from the one that is born out of sense pleasure. So we can value concentration, but we can't make it happen. I've tried. (laughs) Not worth trying. (laughs) We can stabilize our mindfulness, and there are practices that will enable the stability of mindfulness, bringing this reality of meeting experience in every single moment, and Concentration arises from that continuity of mindfulness. We see clearly what brings forth that quality of unification. It's just really important to investigate what brings it forth. So we may have been, you know, away quite a lot of the time. It's possible that there's a sitting where there are a lot of thoughts and suddenly there's a sense, oh, I'm here, I'm back, I'm present. That moment when you're present and realize that, it's a wake-up call. We can really sense, notice that moment and value this moment of connection and sustain the attention there with whatever experience that manifests there. There's a new beginning, a fresh beginning. So often, we judge ourselves for having been away, right? It's not worth spending time evaluating. And really, from that place of deeper connection, there's a sense of unifying and a greater ease, and trust again builds. A new sense of energy is available more mindfulness comes in, and out of that sense of ease, and it is really a sense of ease, which gathers, collects the mind, concentration builds up when there's less judgment, less discouragement. At any moment, we can rebalance this process. Mindfulness and concentration will lead one to understanding. Wisdom. 
Wisdom arises from seeing clearly. So by wisdom here we mean intuitive understanding. It, and it, is, it comes about from a very deep connection. when there's wisdom in those moments of insights and we've all had insights there isn't the presence of greed, hatred and delusion this is what strengthens the mind towards purification and greater and greater understanding there's a possibility of uprooting those habitual tendencies that are just visitors. And wisdom's role is to uproot those tendencies. Every moment there is a clear seeing. And once again, Sayadopedia says, greed, hatred, and delusion are abandoned, not by doing things or by avoiding things, but by wisely seeing. So that wisely seeing comes about in our process of meditation. Seeing things just as they are with trust, openness, clarity, mindfulness, collectedness of mind, wisdom comes about. Classically, I'm sure you know, the intuitive wisdom that we talk about is clearly seeing the three characteristics. And I'm going to just say them because I'm not sure Miyoshin mentioned all three last time she talked. It's understanding the nature of impermanence experientially, understanding the nature of unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction out of that sense of everything moving, understanding the nature of the insubstantiality of the sense of self, Nothing conditioned is permanent, solid, anywhere. That sense of I, me, or mine isn't existent when wisdom is present. And we see this very clearly. Naturally, it's not happening all at once. So there's various degrees, levels, you can say, of insights. And they happen in glimpses, you know. They help us understand the truth. What we see is the reality over and over again at deeper and deeper levels. What happens in those moments is that we taste the truth. And tasting the truth is the highest happiness. We genuinely feel that the binding, the burden of life is just lifted. And it can be a glimpse, but there's a lightness of heart, a connection with our well-being. And out of that, progressively, we move into wishing freedom, moving into true liberation. And that's exactly where there's a process which leads to freedom, ultimate freedom. It can't come out of striving. It really comes from receptivity, openness, interest, alertness. Krishnamurti says, when the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking any answer or solution, neither resisting nor avoiding, it is only then that there can be a regeneration, because then the mind is capable of perceiving, persevering what is true, and it is the truth that liberates, not our effort to be free. 
So there's a sense of wise effort that reveals the truth when we persevere, but it can't come from striving. And this is really one of the deepest understanding that we're meeting in our practice, and especially if we have some time to deepen the understanding. The Buddha says it's not worth holding on. This realization is like swimming upstream. We go against the current and we understand that holding on to stay bound is more painful than letting go. So faith and wisdom work and balance each other. When there's a lot of wisdom without faith, it's said that it's shallow wisdom. (laughs) It's not even wisdom. It's conceptual thinking, actually. Wisdom is clear seeing. Wisdom, it can also be unbalanced without faith because when one sees clearly, but there isn't the trust that I was talking about, that faith, it can get caught into fear, fearing what's happening, fearing of the unknown. So it's faith that balances our capacity to meet experience and deepen the understanding and wisdom then really becomes experiential. It's not knowledge. On the other side of that, faith needs to be balanced by wisdom. Because if faith is in excess, you know, we can... Very often I've had this become all excited about what's happening and we can really have a sense of exuberance. I've had, a, had that a lot about my practice. I would see something and I'd go, oh, this is extraordinary, it's so great, oh, look what I've seen. <laughs> and then, you know, agitation comes about and Saito Pandita would always tell me, you're too excited about the Dharma. <laughs> and it was fascinating because there was not enough Calm, and yet I thought, oh, this is really wholesome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's not faith that deepens the understanding um, when it's too exuberant. So there's a discernment here, and, and we go through these phases where, you know, we're going to go into excess, excessive energy, excessive faith, and it's all fine. <laughs> it's totally okay. Because this is how we're learning. That's how I feel we find our balance, by losing our balance. So tomorrow morning the reflection is going to be about balancing energy and concentration. These faculties of heart and mind become more natural with the time that we practice. And that's the good news, (laughs) They're really less foreign to us. They are part of the scenery, of the landscape. So there's wisdom balanced with faith, energy balanced with concentration, and mindfulness that overlooks it all. It sustains the whole. It's a real treasure. It all begins with mindfulness, of course. If there's no sense of presence... Nothing really can emerge. So they're friends on the path. And they're not only friends on our meditative path, because I really can say from experience that they've been so helpful in my life and have nourished me so many times in the busyness of our lives. When we can just stay steady, focused, mindful, there's a sense of trust, open, receptive, able to meet, experience. There's clear seeing. Clear seeing merges into having a sense of equanimity in our life with whatever is happening. So I'll just close with a poem from Helen Keller. She says, 
Let us have faith. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature. Nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. To keep our faces toward change and behave like free spirits in the presence of fate is strength undefeatable. So let us have faith in all those spiritual faculties so that we may taste the truth of the Dhamma. May we dedicate our practice for the welfare, the happiness, and liberation of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.